Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Land.com can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own and do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with the family you want. Just know that getting your own piece of land is something that can generate memories for generations, but also has the ability to generate income in both the near and long term. Like if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound. Go to Land.com and check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is a place to find and invest in in your open space. The NFL Draft is now officially open. Welcome to another edition of Draft Season. It is Draft Season. Tony Pauline, John Schmelk with you. Uh, by the time this airs, Tony and I will probably be on flights to Indianapolis next week, getting ready for the NFL Combine. Uh, we'll talk about a couple format changes with the two, by the way, and then we'll talk about maybe some snubs and we'll talk about by position, you know, some guys that might shine. It's really important for other guys that maybe you worry about. We'll get through all that right here on draft season leading up to our combine and our combine preview. Tony, how are you, man? OK, I survived my first mock draft. I figured there'd be people outside my house with por- uh, with pitchforks and torches. That didn't happen. So I guess that's a good sign. Yeah, I showed up and nobody else was there. So I went home. There you go. You know, I have to say we are recording this podcast on the 48th anniversary of the release of Led Zeppelin's physical graffiti. So this is a great day. Yes, clearly the most important thing. So we must bring <laughs> up at the start of the podcast. <laughs> um, all right. So let. by the way, we are recording this last Friday. Um, you'll be hearing this early next week. So if something happens over the weekend and we don't talk about it, we're not idiots. That's just because we already recorded it because like i said we'll be flying on monday so we wanted to get this in the bag so you guys can uh talk about it and also by the way we got some questions from our great listeners and viewers and fans on twitter and we will uh, ask those to tony at the end of the program time permitting all right tony let's start here format changes you know they famously went to prime time last year the players hated it some guys didn't work out the guys that did were like dude we're tired man we've been in medicals all day meetings and it's eight o'clock and i gotta run a 40 yard dash it's killing me and now all of a sudden the workouts are back to three o'clock in the afternoon most days Uh, i guess that was something that they kind of went back and forth on a little bit huh Uh, yeah i I mean obviously as i said for a couple years now i mean the nfl is looking to commercialize monetize the combine as as best they could and what greater way to do it than have the quarterback throw at 8 p.m. at night, right? I will tell you, the big change for me is the schedule in the sense that traditionally the offensive linemen went first, then the tight ends, then the quarterbacks with the receivers, the running backs, and then it was defensive linemen, inside linebackers, and the last day was always the defensive backs. Now it's the last day is actually the offensive linemen. And it's kind of interesting. I was talking uh, to somebody about this. You know, back when they had that old schedule, what would happen is they would have a a bunch of quarterbacks designated as practice quarterbacks. And the practice quarterbacks would not only participate in the quarterback workout, but they would throw a day earlier to the tight ends and they would stick around on Mondays to throw to the uh, or or the the fourth, the third day to throw to the linebackers and the last day to throw the defensive backs. And you say, what's the big deal? A lot of quarterbacks, a lot of practice quarterbacks actually made money and helped their draft stock because offensive coaches would stick around and watch them throw to the defensive backs. By the way, Tony, just just historically, Tony Romo was one of those guys back in the day. Josh McCowan. Yeah. Josh McCowan. I'll never forget being at the workout when Josh McCowan was there and, and a guy by the name of Paul Hackett was sticking around to watch him even though the rest of his group left two days earlier because Josh McCowan – the last day of the combine was throwing 60 yard bombs down the field with speed <laughs> in defensive back workouts and, and basically hitting the mark. And, you know, it's kind of obviously it's being done for commercialization and TV, but, you know, it's not, it's getting further and further away from the pure scouting event that many of us knew it to be 20 years ago. That's just another example. 
Got it. All right. Yeah. And I agree. And by the way, just so people understand, um, it's DBs and DBs first. So corners and safeties are going to be the first day of interviews and workouts. Then you get to, I believe, linebackers and defensive linemen, then wide receivers and quarterbacks work out on Saturday. And then Sunday workouts will be offensive linemen and running backs, just so people understand what the schedule is. And of course, we'll have all that coverage right here on draft season. And of course, if you uh, check it out, Big Blue Kickoff Live, if you're a Giants fan, Giants Huddle Podcast, make sure you guys go check that out. Uh, we'll have coverage all week long from Radio Row at the Combine. And Tony might appear on one of those shows as well. So make sure you go check that out. Um, all right. So let's go to number two before we start getting to uh, position by position here, Tony. Who isn't an indie? that you raise your eyebrows and like, man, that guy, he should be there. What are they doing? There's not a, a, a huge number of snubs. I, I mean, there's no glaring snubs. None of the guys who are not going to the combine are going to surprise and be third round picks, fourth round picks. I, now, I usually mean, what? There's like 20 to 30 guys every year that get drafted, but we're not invited to the combine or I, less. I think, I think it's a little bit higher than that. Um, I, I think it's more in the 40 range, but still, I, I mean, it's not a situation where a guy's going to be selected in round three or round four. You'd be like, wow, a guy, that guy wasn't invited to the combine. How did he sneak up? You know, people talk about Carl Brooks of Bowling Green. Carl Brooks has been one of my favorites the past three years. You know, in order for Carl Brooks to be invited, that means someone else is not going to be invited. You're going to kick somebody off the invitation list. Who are you kicking off? I mean, that was an interesting one. And by I the way, Tony, real quick, I don't think we've talked about him. Tell the people about Carl Brooks real quick. Carl Brooks is a quick, explosive uh, defensive lineman, he can play uh, end in a four man line. He can play inside in a four man, uh, end in a three man line, end in a four man line. He's very athletic. Came into the season with very low grades from scouts, even though he's been incredibly productive at Bowling Green. Uh, a guy who's a gap penetrator, good change of direction. Maybe uh, he plays a three technique type of style, although he is more than a three technique type of lineman. I guess it, you know, it would have been nice to see him there. I'm just not over the moon that it was a major stub for a snub for the combine. I thought Casimir Allen of UCLA, especially after the way he played the Shrine game, I thought it was interesting that he didn't get an invite. I think it's interesting he didn't get an invite because what position, you know, Tony? Well, that's what I'm getting to. You know, some scouts like him at running back, some scouts like him at wide receiver. Mm. He played both at the Shrine game, and as we've seen at the combine, you know, there were alternate position drills. So I don't know whether they would have kept Casimir Allen for two days to work out with the running backs or the wide receivers. I know that Casimir Allen is a terrific football player who can help at the next level. And there's some sort of indecision, if you will, or question as to where he's going to be playing at the next level. I thought that was a little bit uh, interesting. I like Ryan Miller or Furman, the small school guy, a guy who's been incredibly productive the past three years he played tight end, but he only goes about six, one and a half, uh, 208 pounds, runs and plays in the low four fives. If you ever watch Furman, he's all over the place catching the football, was actually great as a mid-day three choice coming into the season and had a good season. You know, there were some guys who weren't invited to the combine who had high grades, but kind of fell off the cliff last year. Josh Mann of South Carolina receivers one of them. I thought Ryan Miller, especially coming from a small school and a guy whose position is kind of up in the air, not going to be a tight end. I like him as a receiver, maybe as an H-back. I was surprised that uh, that Ryan Miller Furman didn't get an invitation. All right, those are some good names there. Now let's talk about the guys that did get invited yeah. to the Combine, Tony. And you can take these position groups any way you want, guys you're excited about, guys you're worried about, guys you have questions about, just you know things that you'll be keeping an eye on. You want to start offense or defense? What do you want to go first? Let's go offense. Let's start with the quarterbacks. Go I ahead. Mean, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about the measurements of Bryce Young. I mean, that's going to be front and center. Uh, you know, obviously it's going to be later in the week, but how tall is he? You know, how big is he? And, you know, the measurements when they get on the uh, on the stage and, and they're measured, you know, it gives everybody a chance to look at the body types and say, is this guy going to be able to add 10 to 15 pounds onto his frame? The frame. The frame is huge. Yeah. Are we going to be able to get him stouter? If he adds 10 to 15 pounds, is he going to be able to play or is he going to be just like, you know, ripped height with muscles and he could be inflexible? That's huge for Bryce Young. You'll, we'll see the numbers. I doubt we'll see Bryce Young on the stage. I, I mean, for a guy like Will Levis, a guy like Anthony Richardson, even C.J. Stroud, you know, if they throw, this is critical. You have to remember, for the quarterbacks, the combine workout is they're throwing to receivers that they've never really thrown to in the past. And they're doing it in a place that they never played in the past. I mean, except for Aiden O'Connell, none of these guys have played in Lucas Oil Stadium. So it's foreign surroundings. 
thrown to receivers they haven't thrown to. Now you're going to have big crowds there because in the past it was just scouts and coaches and NFL people. Now they let fans in. Now they're letting the media in. So it's it's getting a little bit larger and larger. So it's a it, it, it's a big deal in foreign uh, foreign surroundings for these guys. You know, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, even C.J. Stroud, can they hit receivers in stride? Are they making receivers slow up in routes, leave their feet to catch the pass, adjust backwards? You know, you want to see that sort of tempo where, where you're leading receivers with the throws, which I'm sure Bryce Young will do with ease because he can do it with anybody, that guy. You know, the big arm quarterbacks, the athletic quarterbacks, how are their passes? You're not just looking for completions. You're looking at, especially in, in shorts, in, in your underwear, shorts and T-shirt, making it easy for the receivers to catch the ball. Is the ball there when the receivers are leaving their routes? Are the receivers waiting for the ball to arrive to them? So that's going to be the interesting thing for the big-name quarterbacks where there are a lot of question marks, the Will Levises, Anthony Richardsons, and to a lesser extent, uh, C.J. Stroud. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think that'll be interesting. Let's jump to running backs here, Tony. And in a very crowded running back group, I think this could be a, a little bit of a situation where guys might be able to separate themselves a little bit based on their 40 times and 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 some of the agility drills where, you know, teams might be looking for guys a little bit more upside. And I think that's where they look at some of these, you know, physical traits. And, you know, maybe if someone was in the same tier at the top of round three, maybe someone gets bumped up to the, you know, bottom of round two, something like that. Yeah, I think it's a big day for Tajay Spears. Tajay Spears of Tulane, terrific season in 2022. Three days of outstanding practice at the senior ball, uh, both catching the ball and running the ball. Now we got to see, is he as fast for the stopwatch as he looks on the field? Because we definitely know he's, he's got great play speed. Does that time match, is that 40 time match the play speed? Are those shuttle times, is that three cone time as quick as his footwork looks? On the field, because if it is, you're basically seeing everything come together for Tajay Spears, which could make him the third running back off the board, you know, at the top of round two or in the middle of round two. And people will start to dispel that while he's just a situational ball carrier. I think the same thing for Devin Kane of Texas A&M, you know, incredibly uh, creative, makes defenders miss, looks a little stouter on the inside than Tajay Spears. Has a burst, but how fast is he? Remember, and I think, Tony, for him, isn't what he weighs in at pretty important, too? He was listed at, like, 180, right, in college or something like that? Again, you know, Tajay Spears is, one, is 5'8", 193 pounds. You want to see if a cane is in that same sort of area, right, because he is a, he is more of a creative, that third down back type. You know, here's the interesting thing. When we interviewed guys at the Shrine game, we would ask, uh, they would ask, we would ask them, you know, what they measured in at. And then I'd ask them, is that your playing weight? <laughs> you know, because not th these guys, what they weigh in at is not necessarily their playing weight. We saw it with Tajay Spears. I think it was, what, 193 at, at the uh, senior bowl practice, and he played it that way. You know, with a cane, if he comes in at 190, is that his actual playing weight? Right. So you've got to be very careful about that. Little trick, you know, what happens is these guys weigh in, and they drink gallons and gallons of water to get their weight up. And then what was happening is by the time the workouts come, well, obviously they've excreted all that water. And the scouts try and get them back onto the scale before they work out to see what their true, if there's a difference or what their true workout weight is. Because so many of these guys try to basically fill up on water to, if they can, add some extra weight when they get in for the official, the official weigh-ins or the initial weigh-ins, which is why, and then scouts try and get them back on the scales. A lot of guys say, well, I weighed in once, I'm not getting back on the scale. So, yeah, you're right uh, with uh, Kane and the measurements. You know, Sean Tucker of Syracuse, fat, you know, he looks quick. He's got a burst, but what is his, his true 40 time? Uh, Chris Rodriguez of Kentucky, terrific interior runner, guy who picks up the tough yardage. Guy doesn't look great laterally. You're going to be looking at his shuttle times. If he runs them, you're going to be looking at his uh, three-cone times. I mean, that's part of the issue with waiting around all day. A lot of these guys, by the time they do the 40 and do the position drills, they're tired. They don't want to be doing the uh, the, 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 the three-cone and the shuttle. You look at last year's uh, list. I mean, the, the amount of guys at each position who completed the full workout and did the shuttles and did the three-cone was like 10%. Yeah. Compared to uh, past years, yeah, almost nobody was doing the agility drills because those were like at ten o'clock at night, and people are like, "Yeah, no, I'm I'm out on that, not happening." All right, let's jump to wide receiver here, Tony. And in a year 
where there are no superstar wide receivers, I'll say, you know, no Jamar Chases, you know, guys like that run around. I don't even think there's any Drake London's or Garrett Wilson's, for example. I think these numbers for these wide receivers are going to be huge. Like they're going to look at what Jordan Addison runs, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Zay Flowers. And that's really, I think, going to go a long way. And, and, and their agility drills too. the, you know, the three cone and the short shuttle in how they might play out in that first round order. And maybe who might even, you know, drop to the second round potentially. Yeah. You got to remember <clears throat> the combine is about expectations. You go to the combine and you meet or beat expectations. Your draft stock <clears throat> is going to improve. If you don't live up to expectations, it's going to fall the other way. Think of, you know, like, like stocks, you know, if a, if, a, if a company does better in their earnings than what the forecasters expect, their stock price goes up, right? If they don't do as good in their earnings, the stock price will go down. That's what the combine is largely about. Besides the medicals and the interviews, which is the most important part, it's about beating expectations. You know, you mentioned Jordan Addison. I've, ta- I've talked to people who have seen him in training. He's going to come in about six foot tall, 175 to 180 pounds. He's going to run faster than expected, but he's not going to be super fast. Only 175, huh? For him, that's interesting. He's not going to be a low 4-3 guy. But the thing with Jordan Addison that you want to watch, you want to watch the agilities if he runs them, you want to watch the the shuttle, and you want to watch the, the, uh, the, 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 the practice drills. You want to watch him run routes because I'm told by people who watch him in training, his route running has been incredible. Somebody said, somebody said, you know, we've been doing this for 20 years. He's the best route runner we've seen. Wow. He quickly gets in and out of routes, sinks his hips, stays low on exit, catches the ball. So that's the thing with Jordan Addison. I, I mean, obviously, Quentin Johnston, again, expect him to run fast. Expect him to jump really high. Watch the uh, drill session. You know, is he sinking his hips? Is he running routes with good footwork? Is he catching it? Is he staying low on exit? And as you said, John, is he extending his hands and catching the ball away from his frame? Uh, Jay Flowers told us he's going to run in the four threes at the Shrine game when we interviewed him. Can he do that? That's the one thing about Zay Flowers. Great route runner. We know he's a tremendous pass catcher, but is he a downfield threat? One guy I am very excited to see is Cedric Tillman of Tennessee. Everyone talks about Jalen Hyatt. Remember, Cedric Tillman was the number one receiver at Tennessee coming in the season, got hurt. When you watch the film on Cedric Tillman, it, it's it's wow. I mean, not only the way he catches the pass, his route running, his blocking, he, he plays the receiver position like a linebacker. Even when the play is away from him, he is attacking the defensive back off the line of scrimmage to intimidate him. Watch what he did to Keely Ringo against Georgia this year. Watch what he did, what he, Cedric Tillman, did to Cam Smith. I'm told you're probably going to get with Tillman. He's going to run faster than expected, which means he could get into the four threes. I'm told a vertical jump close to 40 inches, if not over 40 inches. I'm I'm told a broad jump of over 11 feet. Those numbers all of a sudden make uh, uh, Cedric Tillman, you know, in that, in the top of that second tier of receivers with Kayshawn Booty, Josh Downs. Maybe Zay Flowers if he falls out of round one. What do you think Smith and Jigba is going to run, Tony? That's another guy that I'm fascinated to see coming off yeah. that hamstring. If I if I was a betting man right now, I'm going to say four four eight. Let's see how close I am. Four four eight. And by the way, four four eight will be fine. That would be I'm fine. Say, for I'm going to tell you this: when his pro day comes in the middle of uh, the towards the end of March, I think the Ohio State pro day is March 21st. He'll probably run in the four threes. I reported from the senior bowl that he was just getting to 100%. He was just getting back into training. So the fact is, he's probably had about a month of training coming off that third third degree hamstring issue, uh, which was a major issue uh, to get back into some, you know, get back into training shape, if you will. So I think I'm looking at uh, Smith and Jimbo at about 448 right now. We'll see how close I am, but I think it's going to be much faster at pro day. It's always faster at pro day. But I say, I think with Smith Nijiba, it's a legitimate excuse, if you will, because right, he's right. going to be two plus months from being a hundred percent from the return of the hamstring. I think one of the more interesting stories is Rasheed Rice. I don't think Rasheed Rice is going to run as fast as people think. I, I think, think he'll be in the four fives. I got to be honest with you, Tony. I, I think he's going to be like a four five four type guy. And you know, the part we, we're talking about the forties and the workouts. 
The most important part of the combine, why the combine was really started, was for the medicals and then the interviews. Told there are some medical issues with a, with a foot injury, a sesamoid injury, Rasheed Rice. There are also some off-the-field issues that he's going to be questioned about. So I, I think it's going to be a situation with, with Rasheed Rice, the way I think Cedric Tillman is going to really rise up boards. I think with Rasheed Rice, it's going to be the opposite. You're going to see Rasheed Rice really take a drop from the combine moving forward to draft day. All right, let's go to tight ends, Tony. It's really become a traits position over the years. I mean, you look at Jelani Woods last year. His production at Virginia was, you know, minimal. But then he shows up at the combine. He's six seven, has an airplane size wingspan, runs. Gosh, was he was he even like sub four five in the forty? I think right. He ran a ridiculous forty yard dash at like two hundred and seventy pounds. You know, I imagine how these tight ends test and for a guy like Musgrave, how the medicals look. To be quite frank, are going to go a long way to figure out which guy goes first and how many go in the first round. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you start with Michael Mayer. You know, how fast is Michael Mayer yeah. going to be? Is he going to run under four eight? You know, if Michael Mayer runs say a four seven four, that's a great time. And we're in the day and age where tight ends are, you know, consistently running in the four fives, low four sixes. Michael Mayer, you know, four seven five. Darnell Washington of Georgia, who was massive. Who you know, I had reported when he showed up for combine training two days after that national championship game, he was two hundred eighty pounds. They're hoping to get him down to two sixty five. At two sixty five. You know, does Darnell Washington break a four eight five? You know, in the forty, he doesn't look like he's faster than a four eight five on film. Good player, tremendous blocker, good pass catcher, a few yards off the line of scrimmage. But you know, a lot of people th- think of Darnell Washington as a top forty five pick. I don't see how you do it with a guy that big who can't run under four eight five. We'll see what he does. Very interested to see what how fast Tucker Craft runs. I mean, as I said, Tucker Craft plays the tight end position like he's a receiver. We'll see if that uh, speed on film match, or if the 40 time matches the speed that we see on film. Sam Laporta, another guy who I absolutely love, going to be interested to see how fast he runs. You get later on down the uh, line, your guy, Braden Willis, very quick, very explosive. I'm not the biggest guy in the world, but still, you know, you want to see some speed from him. A guy who I like, who we've talked about before, Leonard Taylor of Cincinnati, very athletic. Kind of played second fiddle to Josh Wiley at Cincinnati two years ago. And then this year was in a situation where the quarterback liked to throw the ball 30 yards downfield. They didn't use the tight ends, but he's an athletic guy who I think could help himself with some uh, with some good testing numbers. And I'll throw Dalton Kincaid in there too, right? For a guy that is a pass catcher more than anything else, if he puts in a poor 40 time, that could sink him. Yes, he has to run well if he wants to vault himself into that late first round conversation. If in fact he runs it all, don't forget what Jim Nagy told us when we did the the senior bowl preview with him, Jim Nagy said, Dalton Kincaid may not even work out at any time before the, uh, before the draft because of his injury. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if in fact he does work out at the combine. What does he do? If he does anything at all. All right, let's go to offensive line. Measurement wise, we want to see what Skaronsky's arm length comes in at. I know that's kind of a big deal for what teams might consider him in terms of position. I'll throw Bergeron from Syracuse, another guy, you know, see a guard or a tackle, you know, we'll see where the arm length comes in. Cody Mock, another guy, arm length will be important. So those are the measurements I'll throw out there, Tony. What other stuff are you keeping an eye on in terms of the offensive lineman? Luke, Luke Whipler, one of my favorites, who I've, I've talked about ad nauseum on this show. What are his size? What are his numbers? He's known as a zone-blocking lineman. Zone-blocking lineman, you know, you want to see some athleticism. You want to see a guy who – you know, can vertical jump close to 30 inches. You want to see a guy who's going to run a three cone in, in the high four and the high seven sevens. You know, you don't want to see an eight, five three cone time from a guy who's his own blocker. So you want to see those numbers from, uh, from, uh, from Luke Whipler, you know, Steve Avia, the big guy from TCU. You want to, again, you want to see the agility drills. You want to see the flexibility. You want to see during the drills with Steve Avia, even you could say, uh, oh, Cyrus Torrance, how are they moving around the field? Are they moving around the field with ease? Are they smooth? Or are they all over the place? Are they out of whack and out of ba- balance when they got to change direction? You don't want to see the latter. The former is a positive thing. You know, Cody Mock, want to see him during those the, the pass rush drills. You know, how is his footwork? Uh, Jalen Duncan. I mean, Jalen Duncan, as we saw, was terrific at the senior ball at left tackle, struggled at right tackle, but he's a very athletic guy on film. Now he's going to have to show those athletic numbers because 
What you don't want is a guy like Jalen Duncan, who's a little bit undersized, 298 pounds, looks very athletic on film, and then goes and runs a 5-2-5 in the 40. I mean, the 40 doesn't mean too much, except it's a test of athleticism. You don't want to see him jump 27 inches in the vertical jump. You want to see him basically kind of live up to those that athleticism that he shows on film because it's going to be much easier to coach him at the next level as opposed to a guy who looked athletic on film but in real life really isn't a good athlete. All right, let's go to defense here, Tony. Stay up front. Obviously, I think Jalen Carter and Will Anderson have pretty high thresholds. I think both of us believe they'll meet them. But I think what happens after those two guys who are likely the first two defensive players off the board, though I've heard some people talk about Tyree Wilson there. I think that's a little crazy. But uh, I think how the, that, that second group of defensive linemen and edge players kind of start to fall off the board will have a lot to do with how they do in these drills, especially that three-cone drill, which has turned out to be a pretty predictive drill when it comes to defensive ends and pass rushers. You know, you, you asked last show about Kalijah Canty in the first round. I don't think he's not going to be a first rounder, but I'm told he has a, he has a uh, he's coming off a labrum injury on his shoulder. I'm told uh, Canty wants to run the 40 at the combine. And if he runs, he could run. He can get under 4-8 in the 40. I think that'll help him a little bit. It's not going to push him in the first round. But, you know, if the guy's got a labrum injury and he is, excuse the expression, held bent on running the 40 and he runs the 40, he runs a good time. That that's going to be something good for him. Keon White, very athletic guy, 280 pounds out of uh, Georgia Tech, uh, had a solid senior year, had a couple good days of practice, you know, is on the cusp of being a first-round pick. If he comes in at 280 pounds and he's able to run the four sevens, he's able to have a good vertical jump. A good vertical jump for a guy like Keon White is anything over 30 inches. You know, then maybe teams will say, hey, yeah, listen, six, four and a half, 280 pounds, these athletic numbers, we're really going to coach the best out of them. So that's something to watch. Mazzy Smith, I mean, the first show we did this season, we had Bruce Feldman on, talking about Mazzy Smith, who was, was number one on his freak list. I mean, what did he say? Under seven seconds in the three cone? I mean, could you imagine that? Most defensive backs, most safeties, hope to go to the combine and run under seven seconds. If you get Mazzy Smith there at 320 pounds or whatever he's going to weigh, to run the three cone under seven seconds, wow. I mean, that, that would be off the charts. That's going to be fun to watch. Will McDonald, you know, do, does Will McDonald, does he do any work with the linebackers? That's what I want to see. Mm. We know he's athletic. I would expect a good 40 time in the four sixes. But does Will McDonald go through position drills where he's asked to drop off the line in coverage, asked to move laterally? And how does he look when he does that? Uh, you know, you got a lot of underclassmen, Mike Morris of Michigan, uh, Gervon Dexter of Florida. Colby Wooden of Auburn. Remember, with these underclassmen, Lucas Van Ness uh, of Iowa, these underclassmen, there are no true measurables uh, on these underclassmen. Most of the seniors who were juniors in 2021 went through junior, what's called timing day. Now it's now junior measurement day where the scouts will go in, height, weight, hand, arm, maybe give them a wonderlick test. Very few of them run the 40 anymore. But they have a good idea how much these guys, what the, these guys' true height and weight are. You have no idea about that with the underclassmen. So it's going to be interesting to see guys like Mike Morris. What are their measurements and how do they test? Absolutely. I'm with you on that. I think it'll be very interesting to see um, how some of these guys do in the testing. All right, Tony, let's move to linebacker. Anybody there that you're really keeping your eye on? And if you want to include some edge guys here, you can. But I was thinking more kind of those off-ball guys. I know I've talked to some people. They think Trenton Simpson's going to have an absolutely unbelievable combine uh, with his speed. And he, he should. You know, but the thing with Trenton Simpson is how big is he? Is he 230 pounds? Is he 222? I would, I, I, you know, I could see Trenton Simpson running the four fives, you know, verting 36 inches and having great three cone and great shuttles. But But how big is he? And are you going to use him? Is he a, a traditional weak side linebacker in a 4-3? Is he an inside guy? What type of scheme versatility? I have an affection towards Jack Campbell. I mean, I think Jack Campbell is a, a significantly underrated. People talk about his, his speed, his 40. Let's see. I mean, Jack Campbell's got to run relatively fast, and he's got to do well in, in the shows. The tape is there for Jack Campbell, if you ever watch him. I mean, he, he's a forceful blitzer. He's a terrific run defender. He gets depth on his pass drops. He plays well in coverage. The athletic numbers got to be there to say, hey, yeah, this guy's the real deal. Same thing with Drew Sanders. I mean, Drew Sanders is talked about uh, in a lot of circles as a potential first-round pick. I don't see it with Drew Sanders. Let's see what his 40 time is. Let's see what his shuttle times are. Let's see how he does in position drills when he's asked to drop 
25, 30 yards back off the line of scrimmage and make plays when the ball's in the air. Is he, is he loose in the hips? Can he transition? Is he fluid moving about the field? You know, later on down the line, Henry Totoa, you know, what are his measurements? He is a, a lot of people question his athleticism. I don't agree with that because he looks fast on film. He's looked fast on film the past couple of years, but how big is he? You know, Isaiah Foskey, is he going to be, is he just an edge rusher or is he a guy that can use off in space? Because as we talked about, he didn't look that great as an edge rusher at the senior bowl. You know, he was getting stymied at the point of attack. So a guy like Isaiah Foskey has got to show that at least he has the potential to be used off the line of scrimmage in space on those zone blitz type situations. Now, Byron Young, another guy from Tennessee, highly rated, very good making plays up the field, but in position drills, can he drop off the line and, and make plays when the ball's in the air? Yeah, look, I think those are all really good names. Uh, I'm going to sprinkle in a fan question here, Tony, just because we're uh, we're on linebackers. So uh, a fan wants to know about Demario Overshone, I believe, out of Texas, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your thoughts on on what he might do at the combine and? And how we think he's going to fit in the NFL. I think Obi Shorn is one of those guys where <clears throat> he's not going to be a great tester, but he's an explosive football player. And we've seen a lot of that come out of Texas recently. You know, the, the linebackers who run in the high four sixes, low four sevens, they're not Olympian type athletes, but they just play, you know, like their hair's on fire. They're violent players. They're very aggressive, nasty players. I like Overshawn. I think Overshawn also has some scheme versatility. I don't think you have to pigeonhole him as a, you know, four, three strong side linebacker or a middle linebacker. I think he's got versatility to play a lot of different positions. I have him as a third round pick. I'm not expecting anything great from Overshawn at the combine. I think it's one of those guys where if he's got decent numbers, you got to look at the tape and the tape is very explosive on the Marion Overshawn. All right, let's go to the cornerback position here, Tony. Uh, obviously, the 40-yard dash can be overrated sometimes. It ain't overrated for cornerbacks. Teams care. You got to run with wide receivers. And in your mock that we did in our last episode, go check it out, folks, if you haven't looked at it yet and listened to the episode. You had six cornerbacks go in the first round of that mock draft. I got to imagine these 40 times are going to go a long way towards determining what order those guys are going to fall in. And I think no 40 time is more important than that of Devin Weatherspoon because Devin Weatherspoon, as I said, he's probably the most polished cornerback in this year's draft. He's got, he's got, he's the most skilled guy. He's got outstanding ball skills, but there's questions, if not concerns about his deep speed. I mean, teams estimate him to be a four, five, five guy. If he's a four, five, five guy, he's probably a first round pick, but he's in the latter half of the first round. He's not, you know, an early portion first round pick. If he gets under 4-5 or he runs into 4-4s, four that's going to alleviate some of the concerns about his next-level speed. You know, the fact that he's not going to be trailing receivers two or three yards down the line of scr- uh, down the field because he can't stay with them step for step. So you want to see De- uh, Devin Witherspoon's uh, 40 time. You know, it's you look at the, the cornerback class and all the top guys, whether it be Joey Porter, whether it be Cam Smith, Christian Gonzalez, D.J. Turner, Deontay Banks, uh, Eli Ricks, they're all underclassmen. So we're going to get a lot of information on these guys that our scouts are that they didn't have beforehand. Keep an eye on Deontay Banks. Deontay Banks, I'm here, I'm told, is running in the low four threes. Could get under four three, could run in the high four twos. Don't know that's going to happen, especially for a guy that's, you know, over six foot. The taller you are, the tougher it is because that starter is so difficult the way they have you all scrunched up in that position. But the fact is, is Deontay Banks looks fast on, on film. He is a good cornerback on film. And if all of a sudden those testing times, uh, you know, low four threes in the 40, uh, a vertical jump that comes close to, if not higher than 40 inches, those ver- those testing times match the athleticism that we see on the field. You're going to watch Deont- Deontay Banks' draft stock take off. I think I had him 24, 25 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Emmanuel Forbes. A lot of people love Emmanuel Forbes. The concern about Emmanuel Forbes is sort of the concern about Jordan Addison. He's a tall, thin guy who may not hold up at the next level. It's more of a concern for a cornerback than it is a receiver who can run underneath routes. How tall is Emmanuel Forbes? How, you know, how big is he? How much does he weigh? How much does he run? And how does he look, you know, in the position drills? If he's 190 pounds and people are like, oh, okay, 5'11, 190 pounds, but he looks stiff. In the position drills, and he's stiff in the three column and show. That's not a good sign. That's not going to help him. So you got to keep an eye on the height and weight, uh, the measurements for uh, uh, for Forbes. 
Uh, I think Sidney Brown's going to be interesting guy to watch. I mean, great senior season, great two senior last two years at the Illinois. Tremendous senior ball. How fast is he? I mean, if Sidney Brown comes in at 213 pounds and runs in the four fours after the senior ball, he had, granted I'm talking about a safety now, but I, I apologize for that a safety who plays like a cornerback. Wow. I mean, Brown's just going to keep moving up draft boards. Any other safeties you want to throw in there, Tone? Uh, you know, I'm very excited to see what Brian Branch does. I have Brian Branch very highly rated. Uh, I expect a real good workout for him. He looks very athletic on film. Uh, you know, later on down the line, as far as safeties are concerned, let me look at my board here real quick. Uh, him, Jordan Battle of Alabama, who's a real good safety, not a, more of a box safety, more of a downhill safety, but you want to see some decent times from him. Yeah, you know, Brandon Joseph. Forgotten man. I mean, a couple of years ago when he was at Northwestern, people thought he was a first round pick, moved to Notre Dame, had some moments, wasn't a consistent force, uh, <clears throat> you know, but uh, a, a real good player. Corey Trice out of Purdue. We've spoken about him. Yeah. 215 pounds. Is he a corner? Is he a safety? I know this. He's a darn good football player, a real good football player. If he can run in the uh, in the low four or fives at 215 pounds, I think that Corey Trice really cements himself as a late day two pick. All right, Tony, you want to answer some questions here? Let's try it. All right, let's see. We got um, we have not gone over these with Tony, so I'm throwing these at him cold, folks. Yeah. So this is always fun. Um, at NY fan 1987, Alex Earp, he was wondering about Justin Shorter, Penn State wide yeah. receiver, went to Florida, was a big prospect at a high school, uh, local kid from the area. Tony, what do you know about him? And and is he at the combine? And and what are the expectations? He, he is at the combine. I, I spoke with somebody yesterday <coughs> about him. I actually, him as well as the Liberty receiver. You know, I, I mean, he's a bigger guy, Justin Shorter. Let me pull him up here real quick. Uh, six, three and a half, 225 pounds. So he's a bigger receiver who shows some skills as a vertical wideout uh, on film, had a decent uh, three days of practice at the Shrine game. You know, I, I think with Shorter, you're probably looking, if he can get in the low five, four fives, uh, I mean, that that's a victory for him. Want to see if he's as big at the combine as he was at the Shrine game. You know, 225 pounds. What do you do with a guy like that? I mean, you know, 20 years ago, he's your ultimate possession receiver, you know, red zone threat. Is he an H-back? Is he a receiver? Do you, do you put 10 pounds on him and turn him into a moved tight end? So it, it'll be interesting with Shorter. He is relatively athletic, although I don't think you're going to see any off-the-charts numbers. All right. Another question. This one comes in from, let's see, uh, Nemesis Escocio. I'm not even going to try to do the full one here. Um, is Carrington Valentine going to be uh, drafted earlier than projected a cornerback out of Kentucky, Tony, because he's a good press corner and your thoughts on him and him heading into the combine? Well, I guess the, the first thing is, you know, you got to define earlier than expected. Where does he expect Valentine to be drafted? I mean, right now I have, I have Valentine as a fifth round choice. He's a taller, skinny guy. You know, he says press coverage. He's very aggressive. I don't know how he's going to hang up, hold up and press coverage because he looks like a, a thinner guy. Definitely he's got solid ball skills. But again, a guy like that, an underclassman corner is going to have to run relatively well and he's going to have to test well. He's going to have to show that athleticism. The worst thing you can do <clears throat> as an underclassman cornerback, especially, or, or a speed position, is you know go to the combine and, and lay a goose egg uh, because you, you, know, you may be able to rebound from your pro day at your pro day, but still, I, I mean, Carrington's going to have to run relatively well in the four fours. You know, you want to see a decent vertical jump and you want to see how he does in the position drills. I do like Valentine uh, off the film. I think he's got some upside, just doesn't have a big body of work. At Kyle Vert 53, how far is the drop off, Tony, in this class? Like, at what point do you get to a spot in this draft where you stand there and then you start struggling finding guys? Is it deep in the, in the, you know, day two, early day three, is it shallow at the top? How would you just kind of define kind of where the tiers are in this class? Well, I, I guess if he's talking overall, I, I think when you are looking at your, after your top 10 or 11, there's a bit of a drop off. You know, I, I, I think when you get into the late, you know, most of your late first rounders are going to, are. let's put it this way. There are only right now, there are only 19 guys on my board with, Solid first round grades. So when you get in that second, uh, the, the late 
the bottom part of third, uh, bottom part of round one, the bottom third of round one. I mean, most of those guys are first rounders that also have second round grades because they're they're not that outstanding. There, are, I've got a lot of guys with second round grades, uh, so you're going to get good depth in the uh, second round at, at a, a bunch of different positions. Same thing with the third round. Third round looks really deep. Looking at my board here, uh, third round, I've got 109 guys with first, second, or third round grades which probably means I've got about 35, 36 guys with third round grades on my board, considering I've only have 19 guys with solid first round grades. All right. This one, now, let me say, let me say this, let me say this also. And we talked about this with Jim Nagy a little bit. Remember this year's draft is really thinned out because of so many seniors who decided to go back for a second senior season. And we talked about the quarterback position, Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, all these guys that are going going back. The hopes are next year the draft can be loaded. If if the senior guys who are seniors next year enter the draft rather than going back for a second senior season, and then you have all these other players who went back for a second senior season in the 2024 draft, what it means is you're going to get second round talent in the third round. You're going to get third round talent in the, in day three of the draft. That's not the situation this year because so many players went back. All right, let's go to uh, Peter Mahler. He wants to know what your thoughts are on a BJ Ojolari. Seems to have great intangibles. Is he more of an edge rusher or an outside linebacker? Could he transition to off ball, or do you see him as more of a pure pass rusher? Well, first thing is pure pass rusher is the priority in the NFL. Okay, you're you're not going to ask a guy to play off the ball if he can rush the passer because that's the greater priority. BJ Ojolari can rush the passer. He's an exceptional pass rusher. He's a very athletic guy. So do I think he can be an off-the-ball linebacker? On occasion, if you're going to run his own blitz, if you're going to basically mix something up where you run a blitz on the inside and you want Ojolari to drop off the line and stay with the tight end because you're, you're, you know, you're running a blitz on the upside, uh, on the inside, and there's no linebacker to cover that tight end. I think he can do it. Can he do it on an every-down basis? I don't know that I'd want him to do it because you're going to take him out of the position of rushing the passer where he's so good. And that's such a higher priority when you play on Sunday football. It's a higher priority on Saturday football as well. All right. Frank Buffon wants to know, he loves Zay Flowers. Mm. Thinks he can play inside and outside, not the biggest, but a playmaker. So his question for you, why is he not the best receiver in this class? Well, because there are better receivers. I, I mean, <laughs> I, and and Zay Flowers, you know, has done very well. And he did a great job at Boston College last year for a Boston College offense that was in turmoil, if you will, had poor uh, quarterback play. And he was the constant force. Why is he not number one? Five foot nine, 182 pounds. Let's see how fast he runs. I, I mean, he doesn't have Jalen Hyatt type of speed. He's not six foot tall like Jordan Addison. He doesn't have the off the ch uh, charts uh, measurables like Quentin Johnson. You know, Smith uh, Smith and Jibba is probably going to come in a shade under six foot one, a shade under 200 pounds. And his film from 2021 is outstanding. So when, when you look at Flowers, he is a good receiver, but it is easy to poke holes in different areas of his game regardless of whether he's the first receiver selected or he's the fifth or sixth receiver selected, you put him in the, I agree with the, with the guy, with the gentleman who asked the question, you know, you, you can put him in a variety of schemes and he'll be successful at the next level. Remember the draft isn't the end. It's just the beginning. So what's Dave flowers as a second, as a second round pick doesn't mean he's not going to be a real good NFL player. A couple of here, Tony, Bill Kane wants to know what round will you find the best value for wide receivers in this year's draft? Good question. Uh, I like the second round. You know, let's, let's hypothetically, Kayshawn Booty falls into the second round. Josh Downs of North Carolina. Love that. Mentioned, mentioned Cedric Tillman, uh, Tennessee. Jaden Reed of Michigan State. Nate Tankdell is moving up draft boards. Could end up in the second round. And then you look at them. You know, you've got Cedric Tillman. It's going to be about 212, 215 pounds. A stouter underneath intermediate receiver who I'm told is going to run faster than expected. You got Zay, if Zay Flowers falls in the second round, you got a guy who runs great pass routes. Tank Dell goes in the second round. You got a speedster who can score from any point on the field, whenever the ball's in his field, he's 
quick off the line of scrimmage. He runs great routes. You give him a little bit of space, he's gone. You got Jaden Reed, a, a guy who's fast, a guy who runs really good routes, and a guy who can also double as a return specialist. You got a mishmash of different types of receivers who I think could be quality number two receivers and maybe even develop into number one receivers. So I like – I mean, there's – there, there's good depth, say, in, in day three, the latter part of day three, but you're looking at more number four, number five receivers at the next level. I think you can come out of round two with a real good productive receiver, guy who could probably produce as a rookie. All right, we got one more general question. Then I got two Giants-specific ones, Tony, that I'll answer, and I'd like to get your take on it. Correct me where you think I, I'm going in the wrong direction there. But first, we got Forge1953. What's the ceiling of Washington, the big tight end out of Georgia, is he a first round talent? No, no, I, I mean, no, I, I just, again, go back to what I talked about in the, in the tight end preview. I, I, I doubt he gets under four or eight in the, in the 40. I, I mean, and you watch the film, he's a big plotting tight end. I like him as a number two tight end. I don't know how or why you would draft a guy like that in the first round. He, he's a real good player. But he's got limitations, as we talked about. He's an offensive size, uh, size tight end. I, I mean, he's got the the wingspan and everything else of an offensive lineman, but he plays the tight end position, and he does it very good. But you're looking at a guy who, in my opinion, is a number two. You're not gonna you're not gonna ask him to catch the ball more than ten yards off the line of scrimmage because you really can't get downfield. He's a dominant blocker. I, I mean, maybe you throw him the jump ball in, in, in the end zone, and he comes away with it because he's so much tall. He's got that. He's gonna have a great wingspan. But, you know, as far as measurables are concerned, as far as what teams want, he's not the guy that's going to sprint downfield 25, 30 yards and, and create the big plays, you know, or is a threat to create the big plays every time they line up at, at the line of scrimmage. All right. Now, two giant questions, Tony. First one from Rob Ford wants to know if uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal were in this year's draft class, are they drafted higher or lower than in 2022? Uh, they went five and seven last year. If I, my memory serves me correctly, I believe they did. Uh, for me, I think Thibodeau would probably be after Carter and Anderson in this class. He'd probably be the next defensive player off the board. And I think Neil is probably, probably a little bit above Paris Johnson. Yeah. I would think I have not yeah. done a ton of work on Johnson yet. Tony, your thoughts on that. I, I think Neil would be at least five or six slots, if not more higher than Johnson. And that Johnson has on him. The reason Johnson's going to, uh, be drafted ours because he's a left tackle and people didn't know that Evan Neal was going to be able to play left tackle on Sunday. So the left tackle position is a priority. I mean, I, you know, with Thibodeau, if he was at five last year, he probably would have been, he probably would have been great. Well, first of all, Thibodeau was number one on my board last year. Okay. He was not my highest rated player. So looking at my board this year, I probably would have Jalen Carter graded higher. I'd have Will Anderson graded higher. Then Thibodeau would have fit in. So Thibodeau probably would have been, my third rated player, higher than Miles Murphy, higher than Brian Brzee, higher than Brian Branch, higher than Tyree Wilson. So I think, you know, he's asking where would he have been drafted? Tough to say. I will say that Thibodeau would have been graded, you know, lower on my board only because we have two exceptional defensive talents at the top of this year's board. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible that after those top two guys, Carter and Anderson, then Neil and Thibodeau might be the next two guys gone in this year's draft class. I don't think that's that's out of the question. If you take the quarterbacks out of the equation, obviously. All right, final well, question. I mean, the quarterback, but the, yeah, even the quarterbacks, I mean, the quarterbacks are going to be selected because they're quarterbacks, not because right. they are that highly rated on draft boards. Exactly. That's why I kind of pushed them aside. All right, final question. Martin Gennaro wants to know, John, should the Giants take a tight end in the first round? Uh, or second round to compliment Daniel Bellinger. You know, it's interesting, and I think you don't know exactly what type of offense they, they want to run. My my feeling is that they want to be an 11 personnel team, which in that case, do you pick a second tight end if you're not going to be in 12 a lot? And then I think you want to pick a guy that compliments Bellinger, who's a good run blocker, can catch a little bit too. So then you're probably looking for more of that move or receiving yeah. tight end, maybe that Dalton Kincaid type, in which case I think he's probably more of that, you know, early second round type of guy. So no, I don't think it's out of the question, especially if you know you, you that Jordan Addison or, or Smith and Jigba and you know Quentin Johnston aren't there when the Giants pick um when they do, which I think is a possibility. I, I just think this coaching staff, Tony, with Kafka and Dable, where they come from in Kansas City and Buffalo, I think they want to run eleven personnel. And when that's the case, I don't know if you want to spend a lot of draft capital on a second tight end after Bellinger had a, a real promising rookie year, even though I love the tight ends in this class and I know you do too. 
I, I think it, you know, if a Musgrave is there, it's going to be very enticing because Musgrave can do what Bellinger can't do. Right. You know, he, he can do what Kelsey can do. You know, what, what Buffalo wanted to do, get down the field on a consistent basis as a big play threat at the, re, at the tight end position. I happen to like Tucker Kraft. But, I mean, even if you go later on in the draft, Brenton Strange, I have him as a fourth-round pick, a little bit undeveloped from Penn State, but he has that sort of move tight end style of play. He's not a guy you're going to put on the line of scrimmage as a blocker. You're going to send him down the field. Josh Wiley, if he ever gets his game back on track, I mean, 2021 looked like a terrific downfield threat. We talked about Elijah Higgins from Stanford. I, I mean, Jim came on the show. Jim Nagy came on the show and said, no, he was a uh, going to be a wide receiver. And then you talked to him, and Elijah Higgins said, yeah, a lot of teams are talking to me about being a uh, – you know, a move tight end, 232 pounds, and the way he plays, why not? Granted, uh, Higgins is is a work in progress. You're going to have to, uh, you know, develop him at that position. But if you don't need him to come in and make an immediate impact, if he's there for you in the fourth, fifth round, you take him and you kind of spoon feed him into the uh, into the offense, into the play, onto the field as he learns that position. So. I, I think it would be enticing around one, but I think they'll have options later on day two, especially day three to get a guy that they can slowly bring around and be that sort of downfield threat at the tight end position. Tony, enjoy the shrimp cocktail out in Indianapolis, my friend. I, I'm actually a Weber grill fan. I like, I like going for the barbecue at Weber grill. I'm not a big St. Elmo's guy. I have not been to Weber grill before. Oh. I'll have to make sure I head out there this year. There you go. Absolutely. All right. For Tony Pauline, I'm John Schmelk. This is draft season. Thanks for being with us. And we'll catch up with you from Indy next week. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.